0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Hey Foothills Church, my name is John Aiken, and it's a pleasure to be with you this weekend. We're gonna to turn to the book of Galatians as we continue our series called Simply Jesus. We're gonna be in Galatians chapter two and verse 11 here in just a second. But when I was in college, I have a twin brother named Nathan. Nathan played basketball at Murray State University and Murray State was out in Western Kentucky several hours, about four hours from Louisville. And to get there, you'd have to go on something called the Western Kentucky Parkway. And so one Friday night, I decided to drive out there to watch one of his games. And so I'm, I'm driving on the Western Kentucky Parkway that four hours to go watch one of his games on a Friday night. And the problem with the Western Kentucky Parkway is the exits are about 20 miles apart. And so it's just like, there's nothing out there till you get to Murray. And so I got to Murray and went to the game and they won and hung out at his apartment and and slept and then got up the next morning so I could get back for church and was driving on the Western Kentucky Parkway. And I I started to look at my gas gauge and I thought, man, I haven't gotten gas in a while, but it says like the the arrow was like right over a fourth of a tank. And so I was like, I've got plenty of gas. And so I keep driving along. And as I'm driving, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the arrow and it goes, (laughs) to E, the engine shuts off and I coast and get to the side of the road. And I'm thinking, I'm like 18 miles from the exit. And I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm in some, some big trouble. This thing is, is, this is a mess. Thankfully, a family saw me pull off on the side of the road. And so they came around and they got me in their car and they drove me to a gas station, got a can of gas, came back, put it in the car. And then I got going again. But You understand, we all understand a car cannot move without gas, that that's the the fuel that causes the engine to go. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is the fuel that moves the engine of the Christian life. It's the gospel that that causes us to go. It's the gospel that helps us get from point A to point B to get to our destination as we journey through life. And without that fuel, the car won't go. The problem is that too many Christians think the gospel is simply just this get out of hell free car. And that's all that the gospel is. The plan of salvation, it's what I believe in order to become a Christian, but then I leave the gospel behind and I move on to more important things like following the commands of the Bible. And so a lot of Christians that use this analogy, they think the gospel is all it is is the ignition, is the start of the car, and then you leave the gospel behind and something else is what causes you to go through life. But no, the gospel doesn't just start the engine, the gospel is what fuels the engine and helps you move from point A to point B in your life. And because so many Christians treat the gospel merely as a get out of hell free card, that's the reason why, So many Christians see so little life change in their lives. They don't see a lot of production of maturity and holiness and leaving behind bad habits and moving towards good habits. They don't see life change. And the reason why is white knuckled trying to modify your behavior doesn't work. You got a temper problem, and and you've promised your wife and you've promised your kids and you've promised God and you've made bargains. I'm gonna stop having this temper problem, I'm gonna do a better job, but you can't seem to do a better job. You're like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna work harder to control my tongue, I'm gonna watch the things that I say, but you keep messing up with the things that you say. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I don't want to look at pornography. I'm going to put blocking software on my computer. I'm going to get an accountability group. I'm going to do all these things. So I stop looking at pornography. And yet you find a way around the blockers and you find a way around the accountability group and you keep finding ways to look at pornography. And you've, you've prayed to God and you've made deals with God. And you said, I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm never going to do this again. And yet you find yourself doing it over and over again. And we see so little life change. And the problem isn't lack of effort. It isn't lack of trying. The problem is you're not believing the gospel. You're not believing the good news because the gospel, as Tim Keller has said, is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It's not just elementary. It's the entirety of the Christian life. And when we at Foothills Church say one of our core values is that Jesus is life. When we say that, we mean that Jesus is life for the here, not just the hereafter that our daily life, that we wanna apply what Jesus has done for us to our daily life and that's how you actually see change because here's the bottom line that we need to understand. The good news doesn't just save you, it changes you. The good news doesn't just save you, although it does, it changes you and that's what we see here in Galatians chapter two, verses 11 through 21. So let's read this together as we prepare for our study. Starting here in verse 11, this is what Paul writes. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let me explain kind of the context of what's going on here. Pastor Trent talked about this last week. The book of Galatians that is written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. And the problem is that this false teaching has arisen in the church of Galatia so that they are now turning to a false gospel. And that false gospel is that that works of the law is what saves you, is what makes you part of the family of God. And so there's these false teachers called the Judaizers who've infiltrated the churches at Galatia and they've told them, listen, yeah, believe in Jesus. That's great, but you have to add to Jesus obeying the Old Testament law. That's how you become part of the family of God. Simply Jesus, no, Jesus isn't enough. You need to add to Jesus following the law, which includes circumcision. That's one of the big things when they're going out into these churches that are filled with Gentiles. They're saying, you're uncircumcised. You need to be circumcised. Don't care how old you are. If you're a man, you need to be circumcised. I remember when I was in seminary, had my New Testament class, was with a guy named Dr. Hill. He was kind of in his mid-80s at the time, was just a couple years from retirement. Had you know, hair out of his ears, nose, glasses. And he told us all these young guys in the class, including me, you know, when I was doing my doctoral work, I did my doctoral work on the issue of circumcision in the New Testament. And he said, I bet you're wondering why I did my doctoral dissertation on circumcision. He said, because I wanted to be on the cutting edge of research. And we all kind of fake laughed at the dad joke. All right. But that's exactly what was happening here is that they were saying, look, you have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew. You have to follow the food laws. You have to follow the purity laws. If you want to be a good Christian, you first have to become a good Jew. That was the false teaching that they were putting out in the churches of Galatia saying, you've got to obey the law. And so Paul comes in in chapter one and chapter two and tells a series of stories to prove that his gospel is the true gospel, that, this, that, that the gospel is simply Jesus and Jesus alone and what he has done for you. And so he tells three stories. The first story he tells is his own testimony. He says, look, I didn't get this gospel from any men. I got it from Jesus himself. He's like, you know my story. I was a guy who was throwing Christians in jail and having them executed. And the thing that changed that was I met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus and he gave me this gospel. And it changed how I went from being a terrorist, trying to kill Christians to being a missionary, trying to tell everybody about Jesus is Jesus gave me this gospel and it's simply Jesus. Second story he tells, he says, after 14 years after my conversion, I went up to Jerusalem And the guys who were Jesus's inner circle, Peter, his right-hand man, John, the disciple that he loved, James, his brother, who became a convert when he he met his brother after the resurrection. These guys who were the inner circle with Jesus, I told them my gospel and they said, yep, that's the true gospel. And the apostles agreed. Jesus's inner circle agreed that, that the gospel is simply Jesus. And now he tells a story that we just read of confronting Peter. And he's saying, look, even the guy who was Jesus's right hand dude, the guy that Jesus said, I'm building the church on you. When he got out of step with the true gospel, I confronted him because he was aligning with the false gospel. And so that's what the gospel is. The gospel is is simple, S-I-M-P-L-E, simple as can be. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what the true gospel is. And so what we see in this story where he confronts Peter is that the gospel doesn't just save you, it changes you. And so we're going to look at both of those things real quick. Number one, the good news saves you. And to, to do this, I'm going to start at the end of the chapter and then we're going to work our way back. So the end of the chapter, starting in verse 15 through verse 21, Paul explains the true gospel. And he says, look, here's the deal. Peter, we're not lawless Gentiles. We're Jews. We grew up with the law. We grew up trying to obey the Mosaic law. But the problem is we've been made right with God, not by keeping the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we've been made right with God. He says the way that Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled to God is by faith, not by works of the law. And he says this, If I go back to that old system, if I go back to the Mosaic law, it just proves two things. One, it proves I'm a sinner because I can't keep it. And two, it proves that Jesus died in vain. Because you remember, Jesus on the night before he was crucified is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood. He's crying out to his father and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Is there another way to bring salvation to the world? And God didn't look at Jesus and say, well, you know what, Jesus? You don't have to go to the cross. Let's just tell them to obey the law. Let's just tell them to be good people. Let's just tell them to do good things and if they do enough good things then they can be saved and be made right with me. No, the only way that a sinner can be made right with God is for Jesus to go to the cross. And so our sin that we've committed, our falling short of the law, has been dealt with decisively in the cross. So everybody is saved the same way. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Christ has done for you. And then he explains this glorious gospel. Anyone who's going to be justified, it'll be by faith in Jesus in his death and resurrection, not based on what you do. Now, justification or to be justified is a Theological term, maybe you don't know what that means, but here's what it means. Justification simply means an act of God where he declares a sinner righteous simply by virtue of their faith in Jesus. It's an act of God where he declares a sinner righteous only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this this is remarkable, okay? This goes well beyond forgiveness. Like we understand forgiveness and reconciliation just in terms of human terms. We understand what it's like to, to wrong somebody, to ask them for forgiveness and they forgive us. Or somebody wrongs us and we don't hold it against them. We forgive them, we reconcile them. But this goes beyond forgiveness. This goes beyond reconciliation. It goes even beyond presidential pardon where a guy commits a crime, he's in jail, president pardons him, he gets out of jail. But this moves past you're, just, you're out of jail to, hey, You are no longer in my sight, a sinner. I am declaring you righteous as if you've perfectly kept the law. This is incredible. This is what justification is. It's more than pardon where God says the righteousness of Jesus is being credited to your account. Now, how does that happen? How can that be? Well, the answer is clearly given here. It's union with Christ. That you by faith in Jesus have been joined to Jesus. And so what's true of Jesus is now true of you. The old you is dead and gone. You were crucified with Jesus on the cross. You were buried in that grave on Easter. When Jesus walked out, you walked out with him as a new man, as a new woman. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Jesus in his righteousness. He sees the one who Paul says here is the one who lives in me. He sees Christ. And that's why Paul's telling them, look, you don't need to be circumcised because you've been joined to Christ and in Christ, he was circumcised and he perfectly kept the law and he did everything that God demanded. And when God looks at you, he sees the perfect record of Jesus. And so Jesus has saved us, how? By loving us and by giving himself for us. But he doesn't just save us. The good news doesn't just save us. Second thing we see here is that the good news changes you. The good news changes you. And we see that in Paul's confrontation with Peter. Let me just tell you the story quickly. Peter visits Antioch. Antioch was the home church of Paul that he was sent out to do his his mission work from. And so Peter comes to Antioch. And before certain men who are associates of James from Jerusalem come, Peter is eating with the Gentiles. But when these men come, he stops eating with the Gentiles. Now, we don't know exactly who these men are. It just tells us they were men from James. They were associates of James. We know that they're going further than James because James in the first 10 verses of this chapter does say that Paul's right, that the gospel is simply Jesus and what Jesus has done, not what you have done. And so we know James believes that. And so these men take what James is teaching and they go even further further, which is exactly what the false teachers had been doing at the church of Galatia. They were saying, yeah, the apostles are right. You need to believe in Jesus, but you need to add to Jesus keeping the law. In order to be a good Christian, you first have to be a good Jew. And so these false uh, prophets and these associates from James, they're teaching, yeah, believe in Jesus, but they're going even further than that to saying, obey the law. And so what that means is you got to become like a Jew. And if you know anything about Jewish cultures and custom, then you know that, that Jews are defined by what they eat. Think about kosher diet. That there, that's something that is part of what it means to be Jewish is you are defined by what you eat. And these laws were given in the Old Testament, these food and diet laws were given as boundaries to separate, okay, this is my people that I've called and they are separate from the rest of the world. And the way they show that they're separate from the rest of the world is they get circumcised, their, their males get circumcised, and they eat differently than the rest of the world. And These are boundaries that show who belongs to me and who is on the outside. And so Jews were defined by what they ate. In the same way that you think about it, in, in a similar way that you think about being in high school, you kind of are defined by the table in the lunchroom that you eat at, right? So you've got the the jocks table and you got, it was like this when I was in school, which is a long time ago, but you got like the jocks, you know, you got the preps, you got the alternative, and you got, you know, the, the kind of the nerdy kids and, and I mean, the intellectual kids, sorry, I'm trying to, trying to be mean, but you have all these different types of people and you are associated with and identified with the table that you sit at, okay? And that's the same way it was for Jews. You were defined by what you ate, and who you ate with. And so Jews would not eat with Gentiles. And I know that sounds strange to us. Why would they not associate with people of a different race and, and eat with them? But if you think about Old Testament mindset, this would be like David eating with Goliath. The Gentiles were the people who had attacked them, who were persecuting them, who were trying to tempt them not to follow the one true God. And so they would not even associate with them. David would never have sat down at a table with Goliath. And so all of this is part of what it meant to be Jew, Jewish as you were defined by what you ate and who you ate with. But all of that changes after Jesus is raised from the dead. After Jesus is raised from the dead, Acts chapter 10, there's a sheet, Paul, uh, Peter is given a dream, a vision of the sheet coming down out of heaven, on the sheet are unclean animals. And Jesus tells him, take your knife, kill these animals and eat them. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus says, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And that by virtue of Jesus' death on the cross, now those boundaries that separated Jew and Gentile, they're gone. And those food laws, they're gone. So guess what, Peter? You can eat bacon and you can eat barbecue and you can have a medium rare steak and you don't have to do what you were bound to in the Old Testament law. You are free in Christ now to eat what you want and to eat with whomever you want and to to, to go on mission to the Gentiles so that they can be included in the family of God as well. And so when Peter is eating with the Gentiles, he's showing the true gospel. He's showing, look, these boundaries are gone and we all are part of the family of God in the same way, simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And what would that have been like for Paul and for Peter as these guys who were born Jewish and raised in Jewish customs to sit down and eat meals with Gentiles? I mean, it would have been like, uh, there's a story I heard in right after the Civil War in Virginia at an Episcopal Church in Virginia that was segregated. So you have a section for uh, black members to sit in a section for white members to sit. And usually they would, when they would do communion in the service, the white people would do it first and then leave and then the, and then the black people would do it. But after the war ended and it was getting time for, the, for communion, a black man stood up and walked to the front and knelt down at the rail ready to receive communion. And all of the, the people in the congregation, the white people gasped and there was this audible silence and people didn't know what to do. And finally a man in a gray suit stood up, white man in a gray suit stood up, walked down to the front, knelt down beside the black man and motioned to the the priest to give the communion to the black man and then to give the communion to him. And the man was Robert E. Lee, who was a general who had just a short time before been fighting for the right to slavery. And now he's showing in Christ black and white, we eat together at the table of Jesus. That's exactly what Peter is showing, the true gospel that everybody has made right with God in the same way when he's eating with Gentiles, but he stops. And when he stops, what that implies is that you're not part of the family of God simply by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, because here's the bottom line, the, the true gospel, it changes how you treat people and who you associate with and how you, who you eat with and who you eat with and who you associate with, it shows if you're in step with the true gospel. And so the bottom line is, because of the gospel being for all peoples, we treat everybody the same and we relate to everybody the same. And when we discriminate, or we, we judge people and we don't treat people the same, we're, we're implying that the gospel is not for everybody. And that's exactly what Peter was doing And so in fact, not only did he teach a false gospel, he enticed others to join him so that even Barnabas, who was Paul's right-hand guy in the mission to the Gentiles, he separates himself from the Gentiles and he doesn't eat with them. And so Peter rebukes them in public. And here's the issue. The problem isn't that Peter and Barnabas changed what they believed. The problem was that Peter and Barnabas's actions didn't match what they believed. And so when Paul confronts them and he confronts them publicly, he doesn't bash them over the head and say, you're being racist. He says, guys, you're forgetting the gospel. You're forgetting what Jesus has done for you because the gospel changes you. All sin Every sin that we commit at root is a failure to believe the gospel and to apply it to our lives. And it's possible for you to be a Christian, to be a believer in Jesus and not apply the gospel to your daily life. And so you move into sin instead of moving into Christ-likeness. To get to holiness though, Paul here in the New Testament doesn't beat us over the head, doesn't say, you bad Christian, try harder, do better. No, he simply reminds us of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And when that good news of what Jesus has done for us is applied to our daily life, then we begin to walk in holiness. Listen, racism, can can you be a racist? No, Jesus died for everybody. The gospel is for all people. And so there's no room for racism in Christianity. Bitterness and unforgiveness, No, the cross of Jesus Christ is enough not just to forgive you for sins you've committed against God, but it's enough to forgive the sins that have been committed against you. And so you don't hold them against the people who've sinned against you. There's no room for bitterness and unforgiveness in the Christian life. Lying so that you can get man's approval. No, in Jesus Christ, you've been given the approval of God. So you don't need to manipulate to get the approval of man. Lust, no, If you're a Christian, you believe that the greatest story ever told is of a husband who instead of pursuing his selfish desires, laid down his life for his bride. And so there's no room for lust in the Christian life. Impatience, no, God has been eternally patient with you in Jesus Christ. So you're patient with the people around you. The gospel changes the way that you live. Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ isn't just for justification, although it is. It's what saves you. It's what is what used to, for God to declare you righteous in Jesus Christ. No, the gospel isn't just for sancti- justification. It is also for sanctification, how we are made holy, how we're made more like Jesus. So the gospel doesn't just save you, the gospel changes you. When you really grab hold of the gospel and begin to apply it to your daily life, your life begins to change. And this is what Paul does over and over again. 2 Corinthians, Paul says to uh, to the church of Corinth when they're being stingy, he says, as he's trying to motivate them to generosity, he doesn't come in and say, you're being bad Christians. You're being stingy. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor so that we in his poverty might become rich. He just reminds them of the gospel. So when the gospel takes hold in your life, you're going to radically love and generously love other people. My dad was saved as a nine-year-old boy, and, uh, but he didn't, he didn't apply the gospel to his life as a nine-year-old boy. In fact, junior high, high school, he didn't really walk with the Lord at all. And so he Went through this period of rebellion. But when he got to college, when my dad went to college, uh, Jesus got a hold of his life and his life was radically transformed. And, he, and the gospel really became real to him at that point in his life in college. And so he got back involved in church and he was involved in ministry in all these different ways. And he was sitting in church, 18 year old boy, sitting in church one Sunday. And the pastor, the, the, the church he was a member at, they were doing a building campaign where they were renovating the sanctuary and all this different stuff. And so the pastor said, we need you to give above and beyond your tithes. And so my dad heard that, went home, sitting in the kitchen, eating lunch with his mom. He said, mom, the pastor said something interesting. Today. He said that, that we need to give above our tithes. He said, is he saying we can give more than 10% of our income to the church? And my grandma was like, Um, I mean, you can give as much as you want to the church. And my dad's like, really? You can give more than 10% to the church? And so he's like, this is just, this is remarkable. And so my dad, 18 years old, went and sold his car and took the money that he made from his car and gave it to the church and gave it to that building program. Why? Because the gospel had become real to him in his life, and he wanted to do everything that he could because of what Jesus had given him to give away what he had to others. And so let me just ask you this as we close. Is there an area of your life that you want to change? And despite constant effort and bargaining with God and promises that you make, you just can't seem to change it. Ask yourself the question, how does the gospel speak to my situation? How does the good news that Jesus laid down his life for me and that he loved me so that he could save me. How does that message apply to this situation? Consider the gospel and consider how it will change your life because the good news doesn't just save you, although it does, but it changes you to be more like Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just wanna challenge you real quick to respond to this message, whoever's listening, And honestly, there's two groups of people listening right now. There's some of you who are watching who are not believers in Jesus. And there's some of you watching who are believers in Jesus. And here's the call to action. It's actually the exact same for each group. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead. Because if you're an unbeliever, if you'll believe that message, if you'll trust that message and ask Jesus to save you, he will. The good news can save you from your sin, make you part of the family of God and give you eternal life. And if you're listening, you're watching and you're a believer, then believe the gospel because it can change you. Whatever area of your life needs to be changed, it's the gospel that's the fuel that will change that in your life. And so the call for us is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and then apply that to our daily lives so that we can be changed. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us, help our unbelief, help us to believe the gospel, help us to apply it to our daily lives so that we can go out into the world as people who are genuinely, genuinely like Jesus and who radically love and lay down our lives for other people. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.